Bingo. All right, Chris, how often, I, I touched on this. Let's talk about some real life scenarios. How often, well, let's, let's get the, the little stuff out of the way. The legal names of the parties. Is it critical? Should we leave sleep over it? Or will no. somebody? <laughs> no, I mean, yes, be diligent. I mean, when you have to come back to it and say, hey, we need to do an addendum to change your name. So it shows John Smith, J-O-H-N, instead of John Smith, J-O-N, is the buyer on this contract. It makes you look a little silly, but you don't need to lose sleep over it. We can make some adjustments there, but just be diligent, pay attention. Yep. But the lawyers that'll teach a contract will like, get a copy of their driver's license and all this other stuff. That's not necessarily necessary. Well, the good thing about uh, if you follow our buyer process using some of the documents like the, um, the lifestyle profile checklist, one of the things on there, ask them for a copy of their driver's license so you can get it out of the way. You get their legal information there. And if you have a pre-approval, a lot of times it's on the pre-approval. Yeah. So legal hey, name is going to be on there. We didn't talk about this in this university, but it is important. The, well, Jeff's going to do that probably later today, but the lifestyle profile has a place for your driver's license. Let's talk about that. Just to get the safety part out of the way. Yeah. You're meeting strangers flying in from other places and meeting them in vacant houses and all kinds of stuff. And there's just some wackos out there. And so we came up with a little policy that it's highly unlikely that a bad person is going to send you a picture of their driver's license <laughs> and then try to perform something bad. Yeah. Right. So it's just a really good practice for your safety to do that. So, and, and it makes it easier to write the contract. Yeah, it shows, okay. it shows motivation too. If you say, hey, send me a copy of your driver's license or send me a picture of it so I make sure I have all the legal documents correct and they send it to you, it makes you feel a little more comfortable. And if they say, no, I'm not willing to do that, red flag. Bring them to the office first. Make sure there's other people there. At least if you're going to follow through with it, do it someplace where you're going to be safe. That's right. And we also find a good place to do that oftentimes in the past was model home sales centers, but a lot of those aren't staffed right now. So yeah, that changes things too. Appointment only right now. Okay, let's talk about real life scenarios we've had where this personal property stuff gets out of whack. Well, go back one, go back one section. I mean, okay. address and legal description. If you're writing this contract, if you want to make sure that you have this absolutely correct, change, get the legal description from the property appraiser. Get the uh, the tax ID from the property appraiser. Go to you know Hillsborough Pinellas, whatever the property appraiser is in, get it directly from there. Because in MLS, the person that put that in the information is only as good as that person is that put it in. And they don't always put the right information in. We've sold the wrong property before and had to make an adjustment the day before day of closing to make sure everything was adjusted correctly. So the right good way to do it is to pull it directly from the property appraiser. Yes. Actually, we did that once with a vacant lot on a golf course. We sold lot six and the surveyor came and surveyed lot six and we thought we sold lot seven. <laughs> so, not good. Okay, so, but let's, let's go into a little more detail here. So the, the real, what you're selling, the real estate, we're selling the real and personal property. And I've had this come up in conversation from time to time. Real property, what is that? That's the legal description. That's the lot and block, the parcel number, the meets and bounds, whatever it is. That's what you're purchasing together with all existing improvements and fixtures. So if there's a shed on the property, does that go? Is it an improvement? It could be, depend, depending on how it's as fixed, attached, foundations, all that stuff. So, you know, this it's a, it is an improvement, but, you know, is there a gray area? Yeah. And that's if there's what, a slab poured on the, on the real estate and the shed is bolted to the slab, no question in my mind. 
I agree. It includes. Now, my daughter's house, there's a shed, but it's got a plastic floor that's just sitting on the ground. That particular seller left it, but I think I could make an argument that they could have taken it too. Yeah. Because so I how do we handle that? The next section. <laughs> you clarify it, right? So it includes the existing improvements and fixtures. What's a fixture? Something that's attached and by removing it would cause some type of detrimental damage in some way, shape or form to the property. So let's talk about these new fancy big screen TVs with wall mounted brackets. Is the TV included because it's attached or is the bracket attached? And it, <laughs> when you remove, there are no answers to these questions, yeah, and guys. when you remove the bracket, if you if you fix it and bring it back to the way that it was, is that something that should be included or not? And it's it's just gray. And one thing we never want to hear and what we'll talk about a lot is if I had known this, I would have done that differently. And if we ever hear that, that's where that's where we see a lot of issues. And see, that's and, and not to call you out, Jackie, but you say and do not convey. Well, we don't know that if they don't convey, because if somebody expected them to convey and it's not absolutely clear, they could try and make a case. So in order to be a master at this, let's make sure we're calling everything out and making it absolutely clear. So there's no questions. I'll add if they, there you go. Okay, <laughs> thank you. But that's, that's exactly what these two next sections are is uh, other personal property mm -hmm. included. Once you get after that is if you want to put it in there, even if it's absolutely clear, if you want to make it even more clear, let's, let's just write everything in there. Call it out. Yeah, let's not have anything up for debate or question. I don't, I don't want to have any questions when it gets to the table. Remember, nobody's reading these contracts. The, the laymen are not reading these contracts and most real estate agents don't memorize them, yep. right? So including built-in appliances, built-in furnishings and attached wall-to-wall -wall carpeting, not floor mats, but attached wall-to-wall -wall carpeting, um, that's considered real property unless it's specifically excluded in paragraph 1E at the bottom. So when I covered the intake form for both listing and contract, I told you, pay attention to these things. These are conversation points. You don't just make this stuff up. Yep. Seller, do you want the Tiffany lamp included? Because, well, no, because we're selling the real, we're selling the real and the personal. So what personal property is included? Personal property is going to be listed down below. It's going to tell us exactly what personal property they are including in this contract. So the personal property that should remain on the property here and existing as of the date of the initial offer. So this is where we actually, we've had plenty of instances before where we had a seller, one of our buyers buying a property and the seller took the faucets, all of these nice bronze faucets in the entire house, bronze doorknobs, bronze faucets, uh, the handles and everything and replaced them with nickel a week before closing. And we went to do a walkthrough and they weren't there. But it says here, which are owned by the seller and existing on the property as of the date of the initial offer, not the day we went under contract, the day I made the offer the way that it was, that's how it's supposed to remain. Mm -hmm. And now it lists the personal property. And another important word in that paragraph is and owned by the seller. Correct. It's easy to walk through a garage and see a nice water softener system there. I own my water softener system. My friend leases hers from Culligan. So, and it doesn't say I'm a lease. <laughs> so mm -hmm. this is where agents get caught 
because the buyer gets disappointed because they thought they were getting a water softening system and the seller had it removed because it was a lease. I had one a month ago where the seller was leasing the saltwater chlorinator. And then the buyer came to close and the salt chlorinator was gone. Same here. Went through the same thing with the seller and the buyer. It was probably, you and I probably had the same thing going on. So, I mean, these things are real. So the personal property that's included in this contract, uh, ranges, ovens, notice the plural S. Yeah. Parenthesis S is important here because if there's multiple on the property, they all convey. The one that we get caught on a lot is refrigerator parenthesis S. That means that the refrigerator out on the back patio that's in the built-in bar is conveyed. The refrigerator in the garage, that's the beat up old beer, beer fridge conveys. The kegerator that's inside the house conveys. Technically they are all refrigerators. The wine cooler conveys the one they have in their bedroom. So they don't have to walk all the way to the kitchen is a refrigerator parenthesis S it conveys. If it's on the property, it says personal property refrigerators, all of them that are in the property are going to convey unless they are excluded. Same thing with dishwashers and disposals. They should have S on that ceiling fans, intercom light fixtures that Tiffany lamp in the foyer. It conveys. Yep. Get that sucker down now and put up a Home Depot brand. Drapery rods and draperies. So that the curtains, that's something that was added in the last four years or so, because it wasn't always in there. Right. But just pay attention. The curtains and curtain rods are conveying in this contract. We've so had deals blow up over things like this. Yep. If you're Those listing draperies. a property, if you're listing a property, talk to the seller about them. It's sometimes better to remove them. In this market, the seller has a little bit more power and a little bit more gold. So they could they could put their foot down and say, no, I'm taking them. If you don't like it, shove it because you're not going to find another house. I mean, not the right thing, but they could. But in, in a regular market, you're looking at a buyer going and saying, they took the curtains. I'm not closing. Bring them back. And if your seller really want, doesn't want it to be a fight through negotiations or at that point, remove them before you put it on the market, number one. But as your buyer is going through, make sure that you're calling those things out and pointing them out to them. Mm -hmm. um, smoke detectors, garage door openers, security gate and other access devices and storm shutter panels are personal property. A really simple one, garage door openers. Most of us have them, but not anymore. There's usually a garage door opener, yeah. the little clicker, but I've got it on a home button on the on my truck, so I don't need it. So it says existing on the property and owned by the seller. If they don't have a garage door opener to convey, they don't need to go buy one. And we've had people come through with that before and say, no, where's the garage door openers? They didn't have one. Well, you need to provide it. It says garage door openners. I'm like, no, it's if they if own it's them. existing. Yeah, if it's existing, they have to convey it. Hmm. What's not listed in there? A typical appliance that's not listed in there that everybody uses nearly every day for their clothes. WD. Washer and dryer, not listed. So I know most of us know these things, but be very cognizant and aware. Pay attention to the listing. Right now, this is something that you want to pay attention to. Look at the realtor remarks in a listing. What does the seller say conveys and doesn't convey? That one little thing, the washer, dryer, the lamp, the Tiffany lamp that's there, the curtains, uh, certain other the refrigerator in the garage, not putting those things in under excluded items in the next line could mean the difference between you getting a deal and not. 
because you start adding all that up. The guy who put the contract together perfectly, paid attention to the listing, wrote in every excluded item there. The buyer wants the home. They don't care if they have to buy their own washer, dryer, curtains and everything. And they did it correctly per the listing agent's request. They're going to get a contract over you because of something silly like that if yep. you didn't pay attention. And I would also say that um, if the listing agreement, you were instructed to exclude the washer and dryer and you didn't, and then the contract came in requesting the washer and dryer and you didn't catch it, whose fault is it? Yours. That would be ours. That's yeah. where we end up buying refrigerators. That's where we end up buying washer and dryers because we screwed up. And when you yeah. add the single agency component to our offering for our sellers, we have a fiduciary responsibility to do that in the right. Yep. So if they said that and we let the, because the MLS says excluded, right? Who's the MLS in agreement between? Us Brokers. and the co-broker. So just because the MLS, the listing agent said, Tiffany Lamp and Foyer does not convey, it's a fixture in the contract. And if it's not excluded, it's not excluded. The MLS also said the price was 500,000. So I don't, you made, you made an offer of 480 and asked for the washer dryer. Well, the price said 500,000 washer and dryer not included. Well, the price was 500,000. So I'm not giving it to you for 480. The MLS said 500. That's you right. can make an argument with all of those. They're all <laughs> negotiations at that point. I mean, yep. The MLS said this. All right. So guys, this is an important part. This is where lots of mistakes happen. So we want you to become very intimately familiar with the personal property and the real property because problems come up here. Yes. Right. And you can avoid a lot of them just by being diligent. And in every tool we've talked about today, it references included excluded items in both the listing intake and the contract intake. So if you use those as guides, you'll be tickled or reminded to pay attention. Yes. Where else do you want to go? Well, we talk escrow deposits are the next thing that we're really talking about. I'm sure you probably hit on it in the last last yeah, class. Kat too. And I hit that pretty well. Yeah, good. But so, I always want to see if you're doing as is, once again, it doesn't matter. The initial deposit is a is a negotiation strategy. Okay. Two offers come in identical in every way, except one has a thousand dollars, one has ten thousand dollar initial deposit. Which seller, which buyer is showing they're more serious? One with a higher escrow. Period. So if you're negotiating for your buyer to get their offer accepted, put in a big initial deposit. It's useless in an as-is contract because they can cancel tomorrow and get all the money back. It just shows intent. Yes. Right? If you're using the regular contract and they can't cancel for any good reason, it's even more important. Well, right now too, if you're, if you're talking, we'll get to title, but if you're saying, look, my buyer really needs a home, they really want a home, they understand they're going to have to pay a little bit more for a home, they are willing to pay for the title policy for the seller to alleviate some of those costs. Let's go ahead and deliver $10,000 to our title company now. We don't have a home picked out yet, but let's give them $10,000. We have it, it's already accompanying the offer. We can check that box. We got 10 grand, it's already in with Paramount Title right now, we're good to go. We'll give you another 10 in 10 days. But you can say the buyer's willing to pick and pay for the title policy. We want to choose Paramount Title. They've got our money already. And we're gonna give you an additional 10,000 in another 10 days. So you can also do that to make it look a little bit stronger and say the money's already there. You don't have to worry about us performing on that side. It's something silly, but we are serious. That's right. And right now you need, when you got 52 offers you're competing with, you better look as buttoned up as you can be. 
you got to stand out somehow. You got to yep. do everything you can to stand out because everybody, a lot of people are starting to catch on to escalation clauses. A lot of people are catching on to buyer picking and paying title. A lot of people are catching on to these little things. So every little thing you can do to set yourself apart is going to make the difference when it gets down to being presented at the table. And make sure you communicate and maybe write a little letter with your contract that says, please notice that we already have the escrow deposit. You have to wait three days to get it and all yep. the other stuff we just talked about. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's huge. I always I always recommend putting an email together and spelling out the main points. Please be sure to note that da 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 and list all of the things that you did differently to separate it to make it stand out so that you want to get them noted. Yep. Spent the time to craft it. You might as well get credit for it. Yep. Okay, this is a matter of neatness, not a matter of technicality. But once again, if you look sloppy in your contract. If it gets into a court type situation, it's going to make you look sloppy. And we don't want to look sloppy. So these should always balance. I'm going to pay 500,000, putting $10,000 down and pushing an additional $10,000 here. I'm going to get an 80% loan because it says I can do dollar amount or percentage. I would recommend percentage because if it does get a counter offer, you'd have to go change that number. Percentage 80% of 500 is effective. 80% of 510 is effective. So it's easy to figure out and then balance the close. Most days it's just put to be determined because it's misleading to actually give them a title, a closing number, because it's going to change with closing costs. Yes. Time for acceptance. There it is. What's your opinion on that, Chris? Kat and I got into it a little bit because so last class we said, shorten that time for acceptance because the other agent's going to shop that offer. And if you give them too much time, they're having an extra open house this weekend and get it sold to somebody else. I think we can need to change that now. Well, I think it's a matter of depending on who the agent is on the other side and what they've done. So we still see agents sold in a day, sold in two days, sold you know this amount of time. So if you're if you're wanting an answer, give them a short deadline. If it doesn't say, dictate that all offers to be presented Sunday at 5 p.m. and it's going to be five days from now, if it doesn't say that, put it in for an answer by 12 p.m. tomorrow or by 7 p.m., 8 p.m. this evening. Say, I want an answer ASAP if there's no dictation as to anything like that. But if they're saying, we've been directed to not present any offers until this date and this time, please have time for acceptance as this time. It's just a matter of saying, okay, I'm gonna follow the rules. I'm gonna do everything that they're asking and show them that we're serious about it so that it's an executable offer. Because otherwise I send you an offer now, it expires today or tomorrow at noon and they can't present that offer on Sunday with the rest of the offers because it expired. Right. It's, it's, it's a whole different game. So it's from last executed. NLU to this NLU, we've made a, a policy change. <laughs> Give them more time because it's going to, a lot of people are doing what we're teaching. That's true. Mm -hmm. Closing date's important here. And I, I keep seeing a lot, a lot of times people putting a closing date on there. And my question is always this, have you verified with the lender? And have you the verified seller. that? Have you verified with the seller? Those two things, it always, did you talk to the listing agent and see if that's when the seller can close, wants to close, will close? And have you talked to the lender making sure that that's when they can close, will close, want to close? You want to talk to both parties here. And more and more, more and more often we're seeing that, well, no, I didn't talk to the lender. Who's the lender? They're Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and they've got a 25-day closing on that. That's not happening. No. Most of those banks are 45 days. So you, you have to be really aware of the bank and their time frame to close, because if 
if I was a seller and I got to a 30 day point and you do not have your loan approval and we're supposed to close in 30, 33, 34 days and your lender needs 45, I'm going to cancel you because the seller has the right to do that within that three days, which we'll get to. I'm going to cancel you because 30 days later, my home's worth more. So right you need to be really diligent about this time frame to close and making sure the lender can hit it and making sure we get this right so we don't put our buyer in that position. I think it's almost as important to find out what's comfortable for the seller. Absolutely. If you if the seller needs 90 days and you're willing to give it to them, that, you're gonna win. I, I might take that 90-day convenient closing and, and a lesser sales price. Absolutely. You're going to win. You, if that, find it out. That's absolute key. Those two people, seller, lender, figure out what they want and give it to them. Whisper in my ear, Mr. Se Mr. Listing Agent, what's a perfect time for your buyer, your seller to close? I mean, call and ask. I mean, the biggest thing is picking up the phone. If I pick up the phone and I call every listing agent, if I have a buyer and say, tell me about the property and the seller, what's going on? When do they want to close? What's perfect for them? I noticed you listed it at this. You know, what's what are they really after? I noticed that there's some comps a little lower, a little higher. Tell me something. And they'll just start doing this. They'll start telling you, <laughs> well, I mean, we know the comps aren't going to get there, but the seller really wanted this. And they'll start telling you everything. They really like to close. They're buying a new home. Everything they tell you is going to make you put you in a better position to now negotiate for your buyer or at least you, get them the listen. offer. Yeah, just get them the offer and listen. Um, this is, we talked about this, if CFPB, if you don't get the closing yeah. disclosure three days prior to closing, you get an automatic, it can't exceed 10 days to extend closing. Well, let's pair We're that. We're pretty with, good at that these days. Let's pair that with the loan approval period. If you're a buyer and you're a buyer, if you're a buyer's agent and you're writing a 30 day close, if I'm a, if you're a good listing agent on the other side, you're looking at the closing date and the loan approval timeframe. And you know that the CFPB says that they need a three-day window to watch to look at their closing disclosure. So if you send me an offer with a 30-day loan approval and a 30-day closing, what am I going to do as a listing agent? I'm, I'm less likely to advise a seller to accept that because you can cancel right up until the day of closing. Potentially, you'll have loan protection, loan approval protection. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing loan approval timeframe, know that the CFPB needs at least three days prior to the closing date for them to review the CD. So your loan approval should be at least three days prior to the closing. I would probably say you should have five to seven days prior to the closing so that all parties can get everything worked out and be satisfied, moved out and comfortable closing on that day. I usually like 10 days. Yeah. You give me a 45 day close. I want a 35 day loan approval period. Because yep. once I get loan approval period, then I can tell my seller, now you can start packing, yep. right? Because you don't have any assurances. I can cancel right up to that loan approval period. Yep. And I've seen that too many times yes. where the buyer's agent makes a 30-day closing and leaves loan approval period blank, Yep. which totally just takes the house off the market for 30 days with no recourse for the seller. Correct. And then they bought another house and they got to cancel their movers and they got to turn their utilities back on and all the other shit that happens because some buyers just are not respectful at all. Mm -mm. And that's our job to protect them. That's why they hire us. The next two sections are are important. So occupancy and possession and subject to lease. Like so occupancy and possession, if you, you just some other states have some clauses where it says the seller can remain in the property for like 72 hours after closing or something. There's there's boxes you can check to allow for time after that. 
but our contract says occupancy and possession will be given to the buyer at closing and the property will be removed of all personal property and trash. So there'll be, it doesn't say it's going to be cleaned. It doesn't say it'll be broom swept. It just says that all personal property and trash will be removed from the property. So if there's furniture in there, your buyer technically doesn't have to close if they don't want. If there's still trash in a the house, they don't have to close if they don't want because the seller is supposed to remove those things. But it doesn't say the property will be cleaned. No. And we hear that a lot. Why is the home not clean? They didn't even clean it. Like, well, there's no contractual obligation. Whereas I, I, I agree with you. It's probably a good thing for the seller to do that for the buyer. They don't have to. They're not obligated to. It's kind. Very kind. And check for the property subject to lease. I mean, I have this question a lot from agents saying, I didn't know the lease conveyed with the property. The yes. lease conveys with the property, yep. right? And a lot of investors like that. I'd like to buy a house that's already occupied by a tenant. Mm -hmm. If I approve the lease and I see the security deposit and they pay it on time, yay. Transfer the rent to me, give me the security deposit and it'll be my tenant now. So you want to make, you want to put your buyer in a better position? What does it say about the time frame that the seller has to deliver a copy of the leases? five days from the effective date, within five days after effective date, they'll get a copy of the leases to the buyer and the buyer will have five days after receipt of that to review and determine if they want to move forward or cancel the contract. So they basically have an as is right to cancel if they don't like anything in the lease. Write a contract that says, I don't need, a I don't need an inspection period. And now you can use this clause subject to a lease and have five days after you receive a copy of the lease to determine if you want to cancel or not. You just well, have to be devious. You just have to be aware that you're going to, you need to get, you need to get, uh, you need to get um, access to the property. So mm. if you've saw the property before and you're someone who's diligent and can be, can look through it and determine if they're buying it based on that, or you're comfortable with the condition, no matter what, it's one way you can try and get your offer accepted, making it subject to the lease. If there's a lease there, if it'll stand out more than a guy who needs a 10 day inspection period. Sure. will. very devious, Mr. Reed. I have my moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was one more point I wanted to make for that. And I forget what it was. Not important. Doesn't, it doesn't happen a lot. Okay. Assignability. We always have questions around assignability and generally speaking, it's not necessary most of the time. And when it is required, it's usually something simple. Like I just bought a house and I signed it Craig Beggins. But then I started, I formed an LLC and I transferred it to the LLC, right? So that's an assignment. I assigned my contract to the LLC to escape the liability for me, right? But then we have an option. I can assign and be released from further liability or I may not, may not assign or I may assign and not be released from liability. So generally as a rule, I say this one, may assign but not be released because I want to know who I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll get, especially in a market like this, my God, I mean, I could see, well, I just bought a condo with Jeff and it's assignable. We bought it when it, before it broke ground, it's worth $100,000 more now than when we bought it. So we found a buyer that wanted to pay $100,000 more. So we're assigning it to him and he's signing an assignment fee and we're going to make a hundred grand. All right. Now that's okay with me, but how does the seller feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> so in this market, if you happen to get a house at asking price, 
and you have an assignability, you could probably flip it for more if you had a long enough time to close. Yeah. Wow. Now we're getting devious again. So if you're a listing agent and you're getting assignable contracts, be prepared. There might be some funny business going on. Absolutely. Financing is pretty simple. Say what it is, say what rate you're going for and what term you're going for and when you're going to apply. That's pretty simple. But this loan approval period thing, usually when we would do this in a live class, I'd have the whiteboard behind me and I'd draw a timeline. And the timeline's a really good way to understand this because my time for acceptance is when the contract is due. And that's today, April 21st, right? And then I have a date here, three days after I'm due my initial deposit. And then 11 days after I'm due my additional deposit. And then I've got to have my loan approval period here. I got to get my title evidence in here Boom. And on this thing, you can work it out back and forth. And then when you take the loan approval period, uh, it's going to be May 21st, in this case, default to 30 days. Then I got a calendar reminder for my critical date timeline saying, hey, on May 21st is my loan approval. I need to shit or get off the pot. So I'm going to set up a reminder for two days before. I'm going to grab my loan officer and say, dude, you know, our buyer is going to lose 20,000 bucks if this loan doesn't close. How comfortable are you? It's going. Craig, I'm golden. Right. And then you, you tell the buyer, you send an email to the listing agent. Hey, by the way, we got our loan approval. And that takes away the finance contingency and you close or you lose your money. Yep. Or there's an extension form. And a lot of agents mess this one up too. They'll extend the closing date, but not extend the loan approval date. Right. So once your loan approval date passes, you're locked in. You can extend the closing date all you want, but you don't close, you're losing your deposit which is why we want to have big deposits. Yep. So on in this market between cash and financing, sometimes if you can get a buyer, let's just say you had a buyer who, if you're trying to stand out, your buyer should get all of their docs in with the lender, have their lender run everything. See if, see if the lender will put it into the underwriter, get a full approval of their file. All they need is an address and they can close in as little as 15 days. If you can get all of that and they feel confident and comfortable, you can potentially write a cash contract if you're trying to get it accepted. You just better be damn sure that your buyer's going to close because it says the buyer will pay cash for the purchase of the property at closing. There is no financing contingency to the buyer's obligation to close. If they obtain a loan for any part of the purchase price, uh, purchase of the property buyer acknowledges that any terms and conditions imposed by the buyer's lender shall not affect or extend to closing or any other obligations to close. So what it acknowledges the fact that the buyer can still get a loan, even if they mark this as a cash purchase, it acknowledges that. And if your buyer is fully approved, fully underwritten, everything's good. You just better make sure you have a damn good buyer who knows not to screw up, to buy anything, to make any mistakes or crap isn't going to happen at the last minute. Because if you don't, the buyer is going to be losing their money, but it's something that could make them stand out and get them a contract accepted now. Yeah. I was just thinking uh, Mike Wiles, the loan officer who works, what's the name of his company? Coast to coast lending. Coast to coast lending. So he refinanced the house I just bought 20 days, but what had I done in advance? Everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah. He told me I did it. That's <laughs> he asked for it. He had it. Mm-hmm. So that's another way. I mean, if you if you have a rich uncle or something, borrow the money, pay cash for the house, and then finance it later, pull your cash back out. Absolutely. It's an option. That's it's an option to do. That's what I did. Yep. 
then it goes through a whole bunch of obligations and stuff, which you'll read because I want you to read this contract. But now notice we just left page one. Most everything we talk about is on page one. Yes. I mean, we'll usually spend the entire hour on page one. And then page two gets a little less, still important. Everything's important, but there's not as much to do, right? It's just, if this happens, then this happens. Um, if buyer is unable to obtain loan approval after the exercise of diligent effort, then at any time prior to the expiration of the loan approval period, buyer may provide written notice to seller, seller stating that buyer has been unable to obtain approval or they can waive the loan approval, in which case they'll continue as if it has been approved, or they can terminate the contract. I have a question. Okay. Does, does the buyer have to be denied their loan? Nope. That's, we do this all the time. We ask, why well, need the loan denial? It doesn't say that. It says no. that the buyer, if they've exercised diligent, diligent effort in good faith, if they are unable to obtain loan approval, they have the right to cancel and keep their money. If the lender's not been able to get what they need and they're trying their damnedest, but they're waiting on a form from the tax office and they're behind and they can't get it, they're not going to be denied their loan. They just don't have everything they need to get loan approval. They can still cancel the contract and get their money back and they're not going to be denied their loan because of it. Or they can extend the loan approval period because the seller doesn't want to start all the way back over at initial negotiation, inspection periods, deposit delivery. He don't want to start all that. He's already 30 days into it. So he might be better off giving the guy a seven day extension to the loan approval period and not bring in a brand new buyer to start the process all over again. True. That might be the case. Could or be. the buyer is a slacker and you don't trust him to do it all right. And then you cancel him. Or the seller's gotten multiple calls from their listing agent because they've had multiple buyers come after they went under contract and said they're willing to pay whatever it takes for it. And the minute that you don't give them loan approval by that date and the seller goes, hey, I've got a three-day period where if you don't provide me written notice of loan approval, I can cancel you. And this guy said he's going to pay 20 grand more in cash. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow, Chris, this is exciting because I'm thinking about this market and the power of a regular contract versus the as is. Yeah, absolutely. That, right? And that's that's one of the things we put on there to really thoroughly discuss. I mean, where's the power really at right now? And as a seller asking for an as is contract, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot. You are 100% because watch this. Now this ties in, I'm jumping ahead to some addendums here, but guys in this short inventory market with those many offers flying around, there's a tool in our bucket I've got an electrician here working at my house and he's got this fucking, excuse me. He's a got bucket. this tool. He's got a bucket. <laughs> he's got a, a tool belt, a tool belt that has all this stuff on it. And there's no way he can use all those tools. All he's doing is wiring my boat lift, right? But he had so many damn tools, but they're there if he needs them. He's pulling in right now. That's the difference. I want you to know the tools you're not going to need to use them all the time, but know they're there. So the tool I'm talking about now is a backup contract. So the seller's going to get a bunch of offers. They're going to find an offer. They're going to be real happy with it. Listing agent's going to be happy. Their deal's done. You can come in the back door. Hey, listing agent, my buyer really likes this house. Would you consider a backup contract? We'll match the terms of the one you got. All right. And yep. then if you're dealing with a regular contract that has repair limits in it, 
and the repair limits come in above the pairs come in above the repair limits, right? And the seller says, I'm not going to pay more than the repair limit standard. And he's going to cancel the contract on the buyer. Buyer's going to be pissed, but the seller has the right to do it, or the buyer could pay the difference, right? Same thing happens the other way. So if I have a backup contract, I'm less likely to negotiate with buyer number one because buyer number two, I don't have to do that stuff for. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, let's talk about backup. Let's talk about backups now. As a buyer's agent, I think it's always a good idea to have a backup, whether regular market, this market, whatever. If you're in this market and you're a buyer's agent, you might want to have an as-is contract if you're writing multiple offers, trying to get a contract on something and you say, I'm going to put a backup on that. But even if I get it accepted, if I found something else, my as-is contract will allow me to cancel at any time if I really need to within that inspection period. But as a seller, as a seller who accepts a contract and he gets 30 days in and a buyer has loan approval issues or gets denied their loan, does that seller really want to be tied to another offer that might not be matching what the current market would bring 30 days later? So as a buyer, you could be hedging against the appreciation in the neighborhood by getting a backup offer in today rather than writing an offer on it 30 days from now when the contract cancels or fighting the, once it goes back on market. Wow, I a, like it. But as a seller, you might not want to accept those because the prices are changing so quickly. Yep. So it's just about strategy. So as a buyer's agent, go after it all day long. And if a listing agent isn't, isn't really obliged to that late or isn't up on, up on what could potentially happen, let's get it under contract. Uh, there's a question. If, you, if the seller terminates the contract because of no approval delivered within the loan approval time frame, then what happens to the, to the buyer's deposit? It says their deposit goes back to the buyer. It said Always. if you if the seller cancels the buyer because they haven't delivered uh, they haven't delivered the loan approval date, the seller has three days where they could cancel them and give them their deposit back. Right. If the seller is going to cancel them at that period, they have to give their deposit back. But, but after three, three days, if the seller doesn't cancel them and they fail to close, the seller is going to keep their deposit. Correct. And uh, I think that leads right into the next next section, one, line one fifty eight. I think we need to understand. Let me answer. We have two questions. Lauren said she's attempted checking box A and other agents simply don't get it and have made me change it to B, even though they were vetted by the lender on a three-way conversation. That's just a dumb agent, Lauren. Yeah. Your contract is stronger with box A for their seller, period. Yep. So they said, you came in with no financing contingency and they said, no, we want a financing contingency. Yeah, I'm gonna put 20 grand up and it's gonna be at risk after the inspection period and I have no other protection for financing and you want me to check a box to give me protection for the financing? Thank that you. That doesn't make any sense. Mike Jeez. says, if you terminate the contract because of no- That's what approval. I just, yeah, okay. that's what okay. I just went through. I know, right, crazy, yep. Good. So uh, leading into the next section, go back up to line 158. We'll hit touch this really quick. I'm yes, sorry. This I'm, is very important. Not 158. I'm sorry. Go back up, uh, up one. The three reasons that a buyer can get their money back, even if loan approval date is passed. One, 118. CFPB. I'm sorry. Uh, no, right there. Uh, 118. If the loan approval has been obtained or deemed to have been obtained. So do you need a financing contingency for, or an appraisal contingency for your buyer? Your buyer's a 10% down, 15% down, 3% down. Does your buyer need a appraisal contingency? No. No, you don't need to put it in. 
because right here, this section is where your appraisal protection is built in for a buyer. It says that if the loan approval date has passed, or if the loan approval has been obtained, like meaning they have their loan approval or the loan approval date passed and they didn't make any delivery of it, and it's been deemed to have been obtained and the buyer doesn't close, their deposit is at risk. That's what it says, unless one of three things happens. And number one is the seller defaults. Obviously, if the seller defaults, they can't keep your buyer's money. Number two is if the property related conditions of the loan approval have not been met. Typically, what this means is if there's a property related condition due to maybe insurance or maybe the appraisal marks something subject to, then the buyer still has protection. If a property related condition is not met, they can still get their money back, even if loan approval is passed. And the last section is if the appraisal obtained by the buyer's lender does not meet the terms of the loan approval, then the buyer still has that protection. So even if it's day 35 on a 30 day loan approval and the appraisal doesn't come in until then, if the appraisal does not meet the terms of the loan approval, the buyer still has protection. Yeah. And the terms of the loan approval are gonna say, we need it to appraise for the purchase price because it's a low down payment loan. Now, yeah. if you come in with a 50% down payment and you're gonna get a loan for 50% and the house doesn't appraise, we don't need it. We only need a 250 loan approval on a $500,000 house to meet loan approval. So even though it only appraised for 450, the buyer can't get their money back and cancel due to appraisal because they don't have an appraisal contingency. Now, be aware there, there are lenders that will still try and deny the loan if it doesn't appraise because they some of them put on there that, um, you know, appraisal at contract price or satisfactory appraisal at contract price, they will try and do that still. And if they do, there's really not much you can do about it. Yeah, but the, the lender doesn't really care. It's a $500,000 house. They're only leveraging two fifty dollars on it. Yeah. And they most hope of, the buyer fails. <laughs> yeah, and most of the time, if it doesn't, they're fine. They'll still move forward, but they can still cancel if their loan is denied. But a lot of times it won't be, won't be denied. Mm -hmm. This section here, closing costs, you know, and here's the answer. Why um, does a seller have to pay doc stamps on the deed? Because it says so right there. Because <laughs> the contract says so. What if the seller didn't, what if we didn't say that? It would be a negotiation. It'd be negotiated. So anything can be negotiated. So just know this contract is this way because that's the way it is. There's something very important here though. Other. And I'm gonna tell you a long story, very short. We had an agent. <laughs> we had an agent who was a new agent who got a listing in Harbor Isles and the buyer's agent put in other costs to be paid by seller, 6% of the purchase price toward buyer's closing cost in this line right here. It's an appropriate line to put it. Cost to be paid by seller. Mm -hmm. Our agent, who was a new agent, who after this happened, quit and activated his broker's license and became a broker. <laughs> so the seller signed a contract paying 6% of the purchase price toward buyer's closing costs and didn't know it. Got to closing and they had 6% less in proceeds. Yeah. And was well, saying, we what the 6 hell? 6% less in commission because we effed it up. So always read whenever there's something typed in one of these boxes, read it and look at it. And Chris, I've varied advice on this one. When we talked about the repairs limits, right? The buyer has to get the, as the uh, inspection buyer has to tell the outer the seller what's not warranted. Seller has to go get estimates 
And then if the estimates fall within repair limits, there's too many options here. We have dollar, we can put $0, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You can leave a blank, say half a percent, 1%, whatever you want. What do you think? It depends, but depends on the price of the house, really. It does. I mean, the price of the house is going to dictate that to an extent. I mean, because we've seen, you know, $500,000 home with, you know, uh, 2,500 in repairs. We've seen million dollar homes with $10,000 in repairs. You know, we've seen, you know, $250,000 homes with $500 in repairs. It's really, it's really going to depend on the age of the home, what you see and feel the condition of the home is, you know, how you feel the negotiations are going, what the seller and the listing agent, how the listing agent is going to be able to convey this to the seller that, no, this is a good thing. If you have a buyer that's willing to pay $25,000 over the list price, and all you have to be obligated to is $1,000 in repairs, and if they're over that, you can decide whether you want to force them to buy or not by making all of the repairs. I think that's a good thing. Joe said, if a seller does not fix a required repair, i.e. electrical, then the seller is in breach of contract. Yep. And that's, that's a problem. The, that's one of the property related conditions for a loan approval. That would be an issue. That would be. But if it's a warranted item, the seller is required to fix it anyway. Yeah. Many cases, they'll just say, here's the money. I'm not going to fix the item. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to know. So general repairs, the contract specifically says what the general repairs are, what needs to be repaired, what doesn't. The next section, WDO, it says, this is the one section that if the cost to repair the WDOs is in excess of the repair limit on there, the buyer cannot be forced to buy the home. Everything else, the seller has the ability to make up the difference. Like if you have $1,000 in repair limits and $5,000 in repairs, the seller can say, I will do all $5,000 in repairs, deliver that notice to the buyer in writing. The buyer has to buy the home. They can't cancel anymore. But in WDO, if there's $1,000 in repairs and it's $2,500 to repair it, they cannot force the buyer to buy it. That's not an option in that section. But permit section and general repairs, it is an option that allows the seller to say, I will fix everything. I'm going to make it right for you. You're still buying this home and you're not canceling. Where does it say that? Because I, I use it as an example of CAD and I missed it. It's in, it's under the WDO section. So if you go down, well, you got the general repairs, it talks about that. And it says, if, if this happens or this happens, it's in the, uh, once we get to the inspection, inspection part for time frame. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll come back to it. Um, I talked about home warranty a lot last class. Nowadays, I would recommend it. As a buyer overpaying for a house, I'm going to feel with a zero day inspection period, I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable doing that than I know the sellers provide a home warranty for me for a year. Even if they're not, if you're paying 20 grand over the house and depleting some of your reserves, tell the buyer to put a five to $700 home warranty on it. So they're not going to deplete any more of their reserves. If something goes wrong, the home warranty will help. I mean, even if, yes. the seller if you're going to do a home warranty, always, always pay for the home inspection addendum because the home inspection addendum says if it's working on the home inspection, it's covered. If you don't have the home inspection addendum, they're going to try to determine whether it was a pre-existing condition or not. Mm -hmm. And most times they're going to call it a pre-existing condition and deny the claim. So that's why Global Home USA is probably one of the best warranty companies out there because they will honor it if the home, that house I just bought, the water heater worked at the time of the inspection. 
they would have covered my water heater. The AC worked at the time of the inspection. They would have bought me a new compressor. So I, I wasted money by not spending the 700 bucks. Yeah, it's, it's the right thing to do either way. We have an option here. Seller sell designate closing agent or buyer sell designate closing agent. You know, if it's us, we own Paramount Title. Choose Paramount whenever you can, please. Right? But don't pick a fight with the listing agent and lose the opportunity for your buyer for fighting for a different title company. Well, how many how many areas, counties, cities, is it customary that the buyer pays for a title? Not many. Mostly okay. it's seller picks. Mm -hmm. So, and then you see in what, in Sarasota County, there's, you see a lot more buyer pick and pay. And Manatee. And manage. So you do have some areas that the it's customary the buyer will pick and pay, but not as many. So if your buyer wants their offer to stand out, if you're going to offer to pay the title policy, you know, a $300,000 home, it's around $2,000, $1,800 or so. Um, but that's $1,800 that you're relieving from the seller's obligation. And it's $1,800 that you take off of the pressure of an appraisal. So if I offer you you know, 300,000 and I'm going to pay the title policy only has to appraise for 300. If I, I'd have to offer you 302 to get the same amount of money in the seller's pocket with the seller paying for the title policy. So it's a way you can put a few more bucks in the seller's pocket. It's, it's minimal, but it can make a difference. Yeah. But you need to explain it because most agents aren't going to get it. Unless Correct. You're... Right. So there's your own warranty at closing buyer or seller will plan a warranty at a cost not to exceed X. It's all in your paperwork there. Yep. Does Paramount have an office in Polk County? Paramount is actually one of the only companies that can actually do virtual closing with remote online notarization. So we have 40 offices around the state of Florida. So I'm sure they do. I don't know. We only own Paramount here, but there's 40 offices in, in the network. Yeah, but you can look up Hillsborough, Hillsborough title. If they have an office there, they can always deliver the escrow there and Paramount can handle, uh, handle doing the closing anywhere. So if it makes it easier for the, for your buyer, they can do that. Mike says, yes, they do. It's in Winter Haven. Nice. Okay. All right. Let's go get some hot stuff here because we have seven minutes left. Yeah. Installments. Oof. Oh, that's important. Yeah. Did I pass it? No, no, you were just, it's in the middle of the this page. Line 200. Right there. Yeah. Special assessments. All right. You want to explain it? Let me just take a shot. Go ahead. So there are certain times when a municipality will assess like a streetlight assessment, right? So let's say you live in a rural area and there's no streetlights and the county comes through and says, we're going to put streetlights in for you guys and we're going to charge you um, $2,000 a year on your tax bill for three years, right? That's a lot of money, more than it should be. That's a special assessment. It was by a public body. So it's only year one. And what happens that special assessment? So if you check box A, seller shall pay the installments due prior to closing and buyer shall pay the installments due after closing. That would be considered fair because the seller is going to benefit from the street lights during before closing and the yep. buyer is going to benefit after closing. Yep. But a lot of agents will check box B trying to be sneaky right? If there are, and there aren't many places with special assessments, but if they check box B, then your seller is going to pay the entire special assessment at closing and the buyer is going to get a discount for the next two years. So that's where sellers get really pissed yep. when they find out you didn't catch this one. Is that a good explanation? 
That's that's perfect. I mean, and it's coming it's coming up. There are certain title companies marking things or or noting things as a special assessment where others are not. Mm-hmm. The most notably in Hillsborough County, there's a um, there's a water assessment on the tax bill, and some title companies have put that up and said, "No, well, it says here," and they're trying to do that. And we fought it and won, but it's it does become an issue sometimes. So if I have a seller, I'm never letting be be checked. If I have a buyer. It really doesn't matter either one because at least let them know that if there is an assessment, but either way, it's fair. They're going to have quiet enjoyment of that item for the rest of the time they own the property. They should pay their fair due. At closing, seller shall pay the full amount of liens imposed by a public body. Public body clearly does not include a condo or HOA, right? Because a lot of people say there's an HOA assessment coming up. No, yep. that's... The seller pays up to closing, buyer pays after closing. It's only by a public body. Like in Ruskin, they put in a sewer system and they assessed all the properties to connect to the new sewer system because they were all in well and septic. And that, that's just an example. So street lights, sewer systems, sometimes sidewalks, things like that will be considered, you know, put on by a public body. Um, disclosures. You need to know these are here, right? We're, we've disclosed everything. This is Florida law. Florida Bar has figured it out. They know what needs to be disclosed. Everything's there. Great on gas is a natural clearing. Radio gas to gas. Permits disclosure. Permits disclosure. I want to put this knowledge in your head because it's relatively new. Um, wait, I just lost my thought. When when you do certain work to your property, you're supposed to get a permit, right? Because the county wants to know the property's been improved, so they can charge you more taxes, increase your assessed value, all this other stuff that goes into it all. So they put a lot of pressure on everybody to make sure they get permits and close out their permits and get them inspected to make sure everything's safe, right? Well, a couple of versions of this contract ago, this language was inserted that said the seller is required to bring the permits to closing. Well, years ago, we sold houses without that language. So buyers bought houses that had open permits that they didn't do the work on. Right. And then they go to sell the house today in 2021. And now they're required to close out the permit for the work that was done two, maybe three owners ago. Yeah. And that's what's happening in this permits disclosure section. So as is, the burden of permits falls on the buyer. Regular burdens of permits falls on the seller. So you want to run your permit search before you put the house on the market to find out what's open and what's closed. Right. Now there's also something else, and I'm one of these guys, and this is recorded, so I probably shouldn't say it, but um, I typically perform a lot of work without permits, right? I can do electrical work, um, so I do that. So I can't really report that I've got a new water heater because I didn't get a permit for it, right? But I can install a water heater, it's not hard. I did hire a plumber and he did get a permit in that case, but there are lots of people that put their own roofs on their houses and didn't pull a permit. And that's a pain in the ass because they might've used, you know, one and a half inch nails and this required three inch nails. And when you try to get an engineer to certify that roof after the fact, when cousin Billy and you did it 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to rip the roof off and put on a new roof with new nails if you wanna get that permit fixed. So it could be a huge issue. And the residential contract with repair limits says that the seller will do those repairs, unpermitted work, open permits, expired permits, the seller is obligated to do it within the repair limits. Mm -hmm. So if you know that he put an AC in without having a permit pooled and you let him accept the residential contract, 
you better be sure that they're okay paying whatever that permit limit is there because it says if it was unpermitted work, they have to go through and obtain those permits. Yep. God, did I pull a permit for my ACs? A lot of, a lot of companies aren't. Um, okay, this one's just interesting. Buyer acknowledges receipt of the Florida Energy Efficiency Rating Information Brochure required by Section 553.996 Florida Statutes. Nobody does that. <laughs> but the buyer in this contract is acknowledging receipt. He's got it. So what did we do? We put it in your contract package in .loop. So don't, don't mess with the stuff in there. Everything in there is for a reason and it's necessary. And that just protects you if the buyer ever wanted to say, you never gave me that brochure. Uh, question, if the contractor does the work without a permit, is the contractor liable? Um, to this contract, the seller is the one who signed the contract. The con seller's, seller is liable to any of the rights and obligations of the contract. The seller can go after the contractor to do it, but the seller has to do whatever this contract says. So if he can't get the contractor to do it prior to closing, it's his burden to do if he accepts this contract. Right. He can go after the contractor all he wants, but it has nothing to do with this contract. Correct. Um, Homeowners Association, let's hit, let's hit somebody because we're going to run out of time. Um, HOA disclosure. I want you to have the seller sign it at time of listing, post it to the attachments on the MLS. Yep. Because what it says is if the buyer doesn't get the homeowner, what does it say? Buyer doesn't should not execute this contract until they've received it. And if they don't receive it at time of signing, they can cancel once they receive it. So we want them to receive it up front so they can't cancel. Unlike a condominium rider where they have three days after receipt to cancel. The right. same thing with the, the lead-based paint disclosure. It says lead-based paint will be included, but in the standards, it says that the effective date will become it. Like if you didn't have one on a contract and you sign, you decide, oh, we need this and you sign it on day seven or 10, that's your new effective date. Wow. It's, it says that in the standards that this, this contract shall not be effective and shall be voidable by either party if the lead-based paint thing has not been signed. And once it is signed, that becomes the new effective date. Yep. And you all know that... The time for the effective date is critical to all these things. And just so you all know, we're, we're going to have to end because next class yeah. is going to start. But um, Friday is typically contract Fridays. And me or somebody else or me and somebody else will usually get together and come across all these little things because it's just too much. We used to teach this contract in four hours and melt your brain. Right. So we just want you to know we got your back. Read it. Become familiar with it. Um, like property tax disclosure summary. Don't tell the buyer, oh, Millie's lived here for 40 years and her taxes on $1,800. The people next door are paying five grand. Let's buy Millie's house instead. No, Millie's grandfathered in. When Millie's house transfers, it's going to pop right back up to the neighbor. So it doesn't matter what Millie's taxes are paying. Yeah. Um, all right. I think we're going to have to stop this part. Yep. Yeah, we got to cut it off. Because you're doing, are you next? Yeah, I'm with Joe. You and Joe? Yep. What are What's your topic? We are doing the uh, leveraging leveraging and negotiating multiple offers. There you go.